Well, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles back to the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to continue a study that we launched last Sunday as we formally introduced a parable of judgment beginning in Mark chapter 4. Historically, this parable has gone by a few different names, some referring to it as the parable of the seed, others the parable of the sower, and many calling it the parable of the soils. As we learned last week when we studied the near context and the big picture of what was taking place in the Gospel of Mark, we learned that it really is primarily one of judgment. Who ultimately is being judged? It is the unbelieving hearts of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious scribes and Pharisees who are rejecting the Messiah and rejecting his message, as well as the fickle hearts of the unbelieving crowd who sought Christ under false pretenses that we shared. They were seeking him for miracles and for meals and for physical needs while at the same time disregarding the reality of who he was saying he was, pointing people to himself, inviting them to take him by the hand, offering the gospel of God for them to see. As a result, we shared that our Lord began teaching in parables, which allowed him to reveal spiritual truths to those who had hearts that were sincere about following him, while at the same time concealing spiritual truths from those who had hearts of unbelief. Their attitude of unbelief rendered them unqualified to understand and receive the revelation. The unexplained parables remained to them a veiled mystery. As we stated last week, for those who would be allowed to understand This parable would eventually provide insight as they went out to fulfill the great commission to share the gospel. They would understand the resistance of the human hearts that they would encounter. Yet Jesus was also calling everyone, all of us today too as listeners, to examine the soil of our own hearts. J.C. Ryle had this to say about this parable Of all the parables spoken by our Lord, none is probably so well known as this. There is none which is so easily understood by all from the gracious familiarity of the figures which it contains. There is none which is of such universal and perpetual application. So long as there is a church of Christ and a congregation of Christians, so long there will be employment for this parable." This parable is consistent in nature, and it's fitting that we ask the same questions that we did at the start of last Sunday's message as we approach our passage for the second time. What soil does my heart and your heart reflect? How is my heart, how how has my heart responded to the gospel and continuing to respond to the gospel? Is it hard? Is it shallow? Is it compromised in any way? Or is it fertile and bearing much fruit? What is the significance of this parable and what does the Lord want you and I to take away and apply to our walk with him? Let's read the passage again together and I'm going to read all 20 verses starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. This is what it says in the New American Standard. 
he began to teach by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked it. And it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. Then he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are, on the, are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Well, if you look in your outline this week, you'll quickly notice that we covered three out of our four points last week. And we ended our time just beginning uh, our focus on the fourth and final factor. Initially, I used strike through lines and then it didn't, didn't look so good. So I just opted to bold what was uh, left for us to cover. And of course, that which isn't bolded. Is it bolded, the, the bottom portion? Okay. Sorry about that. So it um, doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll guide us in, in, the, in the outline. But um, we're, we're studying four factors from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, as Jesus preaches this parable of judgment about four heart responses to the gospel that challenge you and I to deny or affirm genuine faith in our lives. And if you weren't here last Sunday, of course, you'll have the opportunity to go back online and listen to that message, but we're going to pick up right where we left off. All of our attention is now on the fourth factor, the significance of this parable. As we zero in on letter C, our third subpoint, the significance of understanding its meaning. Look at verse 13. 
as Jesus asked some very important questions, it says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Failure to hear and understand this parable means failure to understand parables in general. What is it about this parable that serves as a paradigm to understand all the other parables? The answer, which will become apparent when we look at verses 14 through 20, what we'll get to see is that this parable basically combines two elements that form our core of understanding of the gospel, Christology and discipleship. If you understand Christ, then you will understand his message. If you misunderstand the message, then you cannot be his disciple. The message and the Messiah are imperative to understand. Allow me to put it in a different perspective. In our parable, if you remove both the sower and the seed, what is the only thing left? Soil, right? That's exactly right. Just dirt. Just dirt. And that's us. You take away the Messiah, you take away the message of the gospel, and that's all that we're left with. Just dirt. It's humbling to consider the fact that there's really nothing beautiful about soil itself. In fact, I would say just even as it relates to the the dirt, it's contaminated dirt. We're going to see that as we look at these first three soils. Our sinful hearts are very much like dirt. And only God can make use out of such dirt. Only the Lord can take something so wicked and depraved and allow it to become fertile so that it serves his purposes. Interesting that the Bible says that we were born from dust, dirt. And from dust you shall return, right? And that at every stage in between, as it relates to the human heart, being born into sin, soils soil in the heart when you die they dig a grave six feet under and what do they put on top of you dirt dirt if not for the grace of God that intervened that intervened and rescued us and gave us new life The significance of understanding this parable's meaning is absolutely critical. It means that we must understand our need for the Messiah, and it also means that we must understand the gospel call to discipleship if we're ever to bear fruit. The Messiah and the message of the gospel go hand in hand, and they function together. And if you want a picture of this, I would say it's a lot like uh, the, the human heart and the blood that resides in our body. If you take either away, right? We are, we are no longer living. You're dead. In sermons past, I used the illustration of electricity. The, the, the power cord and the power that goes through it. With, you take either one of those away, the lamp cannot be turned on. There can be no light to see. 
There is no illumination. And this is how significant this parable is to understand. There's an illuminating effect that comes when the Messiah is embraced and his message of the gospel firmly takes root in the soil of the human heart. And this naturally leads us to the explanation of the parable that our Lord gives in verses 14 through 20. Look at verse 14. Here, Jesus begins by providing a simple and straightforward fact. The sower sows the word. It was under our second point that we actually introduced the concept of the sower in an agricultural uh, setting. Agricultural point of view. The farming sower sowed physical seeds and The spiritual sower sows spiritual seeds. We even introduced some parallels between the farming sower and the spiritual sower. Just listen to these parallels. Both require hard work. Both require overcoming obstacles and impediments to the sowing process. There are different elements in the world that pose threats. Both require consistency with the seed that is being sown. And what is the spiritual seed in our passage that we're talking about? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the the, the word of God in the form of the gospel is the seed. Both require covering a lot of ground. And to some degree, the work never ends. I was thinking about this just as it relates to farming and agriculture because of different hemispheres and different seasons that at some point in time throughout the entire planet, there is always some form of sowing that is taking place physically with farming. Never stops. And I was thinking about the reality as it relates to God's plan and purpose and fulfillment of the Great Commission. Never stops. Never stops. There's always someone sharing. There's always someone sowing. There's always a loud preacher on Sunday preaching, right? There's always someone, uh, the the, the work just never ends. And I described it. It's like, you know, it was mowing the the golf course with a push mower, right? But by the time, if you were ever to finish, which... it would be time to start all over again. And this leads us to our Lord's explanation of the soils. And by the way, you may recall the last time I mentioned the sower in our parable, I shared the fact that Jesus Christ is the primary sower in our passage. How can we be certain? The explanation of the soils proves that he is the sower. He is the sower of the soils. Who else can look into the human heart? Who else can see the condition of the human heart? No, I can't. Nor can anyone else make that claim. So Jesus, the one who can see directly into the heart, provides this parable to share the significance of that which only he can see. And his explanation will help all future sowers And it really serves a dual purpose. First, it challenges us to evaluate and consider the soil of our own hearts and our ongoing response to the gospel. It's a measure of God's grace that we're called to deny or affirm the presence of genuine faith in our lives. 
And this shouldn't be an offensive proposition. In fact, if it offends you to, to suggest that you consider whether you're a true believer or not, that may indicate a greater concern. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians 13.5, we're actually commanded as believers to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to make sure that we're in the faith. We're called to do that. Why? Because the, the, the humble, teachable heart of, of the disciple, right, is, is going to respond and be willing to do that. Second, it provides insight into the hearts of resistance that our Lord encountered when preaching the gospel of God. And it helps us to understand the negative heart responses that we will encounter when sharing the gospel with unbelievers. So with these two purposes in mind, let us consider the soils explained to see the significance clearly. The first soil was the impenetrable soil that reflects an impenetrable heart. Look at verse 15. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Jesus, now you'll notice, is referring to people these are people whose hearts are so hard and polished with pride that there's a resistance to the gospel having any impact on their life. And without a doubt, he had the scribes and Pharisees in mind who had their well-worn path of self-righteousness compacted in their ways and they were set in their religious ways. And the gospel would not penetrate Their compacted and prideful hearts made them resistant to the Messiah and his message. The impenetrable heart is the proud heart. And J.C. Ryle says that this verse reflects many people in the church. Listen to his quote on this verse. These are they who hear sermons but pay no attention to them. They go to a place of worship for form or fashion or to appear respectable before men. But they take no interest whatsoever in the preaching. It seems to them a mere matter of words and names and unintelligible talk. It is neither money nor food nor drink nor clothes nor company. And as they sit under the sound of it, they are taken up with the thinking of other things. It matters nothing whether it is law or gospel. It produces no more effect on them than water on a stone. And at the end... They go away knowing no more than when they came in. He adds this. There are myriads of professing Christians in this state of soul. There is hardly a church or chapel where scores of them are not to be found. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to catch away the good seed that is sown on the surface of their hearts. Week after week, they live on without faith or fear or knowledge or grace, feeling nothing, caring nothing, taking no more interest in faith than if Christ had never died on the cross at all. And in this state, they often die and are buried and are lost forever in hell. This is a mournful picture but only too true, end quote. That is a very sobering assessment and one that should arrest our attention for good reason. 
It's comments like this that you, I, you, you read, and, and I know some of you, I'm not alone in this experience. You read uh, and, and hear a comment like that, that it just has you assess your own heart immediately. Am I deceived? Is my heart really born again with a new nature and new desire to that's putting on an external witness and manifestation of, of God's redemptive work in my life? Am I working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Philippians 2.12. This is a spiritually healthy and ongoing exercise for those who are in Christ And it's a measure of grace in the gospel to be exhorted to examine and test the soil of your own heart. And you know what's ironic is that farmers do this all the time. They do soil tests all the time. A soil test, according to Wikipedia, is the analysis of a soil sample to determine nutrients and contaminated content composition and other characteristics such as the acidity or pH level. A soil test can determine fertility or the expected growth potential of the soil, which indicates nutrient deficiencies and potential toxicities. If farmers are testing the soils of their fields to make sure that they're physically healthy, and this carries merely an earthly or a temporal significance, How much more should Christians be testing the soil of their hearts to make sure that they are spiritually healthy when there are eternal implications? So true. The second soil that our Lord explains is the shallow soil, which reflects the shallow heart. Look at verses 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky places, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Last week you'll recall when we were talking about this soil, the, the rocky soil, we, we confirmed that it wasn't speaking of rocks that were on top of the soil, nor was it speaking to rocks that were actually mixed into the soil. But it was a reference to um, a bedrock of limestone that existed just a few inches beneath the soil. And then when the seeds would uh, get watered and germinate, right, what would happen is they would quickly spring up and the roots would travel down to find more water. And guess what? They would run into that impenetrable surface. And thus, verse 16 starts off by saying, in a similar way, as both of these first two soils involve hard, impenetrable surfaces. The difference here with the second surface is the appearance of fertility at first glance. J.C. Ryle's insights with this soil, again, are worthy of our attention when he says, These are they on whom preaching produces temporary impressions, but no deep, lasting, and abiding effect. They take pleasure in hearing sermons in which the truth is faithfully set forth. 
They can speak with apparent joy and enthusiasm about the sweetness of the gospel and the happiness which they experience in listening to it. They can be moved to tears by the appeals of a preacher and talk with apparent earnestness of their own inward conflicts, hopes, struggles, desires, and fears. But unhappily, there is no stability about their faith. They have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. There is no real work of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. Their impressions are like Jonah's plant, which came up one day and perished the next. They fade as rapidly as they grow. No sooner does affliction and persecution arise for the word's sake than they fall away. Their faith has no more life in it than the cut flower. It has no root and soon withers away. Perhaps you've witness this taking place even in your own experience someone initially after hearing the gospel it, 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 they're, they're excited and and it appears that they, they've responded and they want to grow right and they even start attending church they come they check out your care group they come they check out bible study right on the surface, they seem eager to grow. But when the trials of life hit with affliction, perhaps from God's hand, or persecution, perhaps from unbelieving family and friends, they eventually wither and fade away from Christ and the church. This is a picture of that. This is that, that very thing being described, right? We witness it. Yet I think as it relates to our own hearts, again, it's good to test the soil with this in mind. Church attendance is no marker of spiritual growth. Am I growing in Christ? Is there fruitfulness that is flowing out of my faithfulness? This isn't to say that a believer may not go through periods of time in their life where it could be dry or stagnant. Even the plants of the field suffer drought on occasion. The concern should be if I don't see any real signs of growth over multiple seasons in my life. And again, this is where the ministry of discipleship and care group can bless you. Oftentimes we don't see our spiritual growth. And just like physical growth with a small child and parents, you can relate to this. You know, sometimes over the course of weeks and months and they're growing right? You, you don't see, you don't see it. But then if you take pictures from like one or two years ago, right? All of a sudden you compare them to one or two years ago. You're like, oh my goodness, they've grown. And I think this is true for believers spiritually. But if I can resort to the same illustration, parents, if your child wasn't growing, if they weren't developing, perhaps you made me even notice that they're even losing a little bit of weight. What would you do? Would you have concern? Of course. You'd take them in to get checked out right away. And the same concern should be expressed if there was evidence of a shallow heart when it comes to our response to the gospel. If we're truly born again, then we should and will be growing. And God's Word actually commands us uh, to, to grow. 
In 2 Peter 3.18, it says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love this passage because it teaches us to nail down the truths of the gospel into our spiritual lives, which won't take place in a shallow heart. Gospel truths in a shallow heart might poke through the surface, but eventually they hit limestone and they won't take root. And this is why continuing to preach the gospel to our own hearts is so important. Listen to me. This isn't suggesting that you, you, you doubt your salvation. But rather the opposite is true. It helps us to embrace our new nature and be sensitive to the transforming and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that will rule out any evidence of a shallow heart. So question for you. When is the last time you preached the gospel to your own heart? When is the last time that you and I have said, you need to repent? You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to trust. You need to believe on Christ. You need to follow him. We must continue. And I've shared this as an illustration in the past. In, in the same way that the, the, the nails that pierced his hands on that cross that went through his hands and his feet is a marker and evidence of how we need to take the truths of all that is represented through the cross and make sure that they get nailed down into the deep recesses of our heart. There can be no shallow soil for the believer. There cannot be. There cannot be. The third soil that our Lord explains is the compromised soil, which reflects a compromised heart. Let's read what Jesus says in, in verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Last week we did a preliminary and we talked about what this soil looked like. It was uh, what we do today was common in the ancient Near East too where they would Actually, on, on fields that they wanted to uh, plant, they would light fires and just uh, clear out the, the weeds and the thorns so they didn't have to deal with them at hand. They would just burn them up. But just like using that technique today, oftentimes the roots of the thorns and the weeds can be left in the soil. And when the seed is sown on the soil, then watered and germinated, and it germinates, the thorns re-sprout and grow even stronger, choking out the surrounding sprouting plants. And we talked about that Greek word of choking out, that it, it literally can also be translated crowded out. And that's the picture that we should have in mind. The thorns would literally crowd out the light and water from the sprouting plants. And here Jesus explains the thorns represent three compromises. First, the worries of this life. Second, the deceitfulness of wealth. 
And third, the desire for other things. These portray a compromised heart. A heart divided by irreconcilable loyalties. This heart makes some gestures towards Christ, but the worries of this world. Literally, it is saying the distractions of this age draw it back. This person's heart is pulled in other directions, leaving no room for spiritual concerns. I made a reference to my twin brother and the experience, and he, he is who comes to mind every, every time when I think of the parable of the soils. You may recall I mentioned him last week as an example. I witnessed firsthand the example of a compromised heart in his life. There was an occasion where after he had gone through a, a divorce and appeared to be very broken, he seemed to have responded to the gospel. I was greatly encouraged. What happened was the, 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 the distractions of this world choked it out. It choked it out. There was no change. Yes, he attended, even attended church a couple times and attended a Bible study, ironically, a couple times. But there was no lasting change. The second compromise mentioned is the deceitfulness of wealth, commonly referred to as keeping up with the Joneses, which draws the heart toward financial gain and materialism. R. Kent Hughes says this about the deceitfulness of wealth. This involves buying things that you do not need to impress people you do not like with money you do not have. That is the deceitfulness of wealth. Buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like with money you don't have. This is a compromised heart, which Hughes again uh, compared to this. It's like the heart of the girl to which a young man once proposed. He said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in this world. I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all my heart. She thought for a minute and then replied, I love you with all my heart too. But tell me more about Johnny Brown. (laughs) The compromised heart has divided interests and affections. It is the very reason why God calls us in 1 John 2.15 not to love this world or the things in this world. This is the very reason why the Lord Jesus Christ instructs us in Matthew 6.24 when he says a man cannot serve both God and money. He can't. One will be despised. One will be despised. It's the very reason why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, he shared with him that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And those who have longed for it have often abandoned the faith and have been pierced through with many griefs. The soil of their hearts is compromised. One of our CBC brothers who was recently preaching a sermon in one of our uh, CBC leadership training sessions and preaching lab, he shared this quote. He said, 
The greatest threat to the church in our time isn't persecution, but seduction. I couldn't agree more. And this should greatly concern true believers because we're aware of the seducing threats that this world poses. How much more will the threats be amplified if the hearts of many professing believers are compromised? And what is the answer to this predicament? I think much of it has to do with a compromised gospel being preached to compromised hearts. And all that does is open up the door for compromised ministries. By God's grace and for his glory, we will preach an uncompromised gospel as we trust his sovereign will that it will land on uncompromised soil, which appropriately leads us to our fourth soil and our final subpoint, the fertile heart. Here's an important question. Can and does God change the soil of a human heart? The fear of man is filling the room. Yes, we got a yes in the back. And you are correct. You are correct. And he does. We're evidence of that. Every believer in the room bears testimony of that. Because at one point in time, every human heart born into sin, born into this world, is a reflection of one of those first three soils. Everyone. Yet God in his mercy and grace, he tilled the soil of our hearts to remove the impenetrable surfaces, the obstacles of unbelief and the competing worldly desires that at one time overcrowded our hearts. He gave you and I and everyone else who believes a heart that allows God's word to take deep root in it and yield much fruit. Look at our final verse. Verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. I want you to notice this threefold progression in this verse. First, they hear it. They hear it. I mean, they really hear it. God gives them ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. And they hear it. And they understand it. Second, they accept it. The seed lands on tilled soil, changed soil, soft soil. It's received and it's embedded and it takes root in their heart and in their life. They once rejected it, but now on good soil, fertile soil, it can be received. And third, they bear fruit. These fruits are plain and unmistakable results of a changed heart and a changed life. Sin will be hated. It will be mourned over, repented of, and resisted. Christ will truly be loved, trusted, followed, and obeyed. Holiness will manifest itself in their lives as they pursue the righteousness of Christ in the spirit of humility. 
There will be something that can be seen. A harvest of true fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just like it's mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Not only that, but a harvest of good works will also be yielded according to Ephesians 2.10 as disciples of Christ continue to be made. It was several years ago when my twin brother went through his divorce and had that response. Initial response of what appeared to be faith that never produced gospel fruit. At first, it was very disheartening. And it definitely made me think of this passage that I'd one day be preaching. I didn't know at the time. One day preaching to you guys. And my wife and I continued, along with many others, we continued to pray for him in hopes that God would one day change his heart. And about 18 months ago, a series of events that occurred in his life led him to realize the vain pursuits of his life. And he called me on the phone, discouraged, downcast, despairing. And he said that the first time that he professed faith, he knew that it wasn't real. He only wanted God's forgiveness, but never made Christ the Lord of his life. God graciously allowed the soil of his heart to change. And he's been growing steadily in Christ ever since. Praise God. Praise God. And you know, just as it relates to your life, and maybe, you know, I hope in many ways that the sermon has challenged your heart, that you would look at your own life and just be real. Be real about what you see. Be real about your growth and the fruit. You know? It, it's, that's where life is. Being born again is where life is. <laughs> it is. That's where joy is. That's where satisfaction and contentment in Christ is. Make sure you have it. Make sure you have it, my friend. Don't play games. Don't fall into the trap. Don't be deceived by the the programs of this world. Be real. Be real with your own heart. And I also share this illustration with my brother that if you have unsaved family, and, and unsafe friends to be encouraged and to be prayerful and convinced of it. We, we, we prayed hard. My wife prayed hard for my brother and has such a burden for her own family. Pray for their salvation. Pray. And this exhortation is fitting because during second hour we have a top Sunday, a time of prayer. And we're actually going to take the, the, the first few moments of, of that time and we're going to pray for any unbeliever that the Lord puts on your heart. For those that want to stay and, and pray for somebody and there could not be a more appropriate time. Why? Because we all know what's coming up. Got Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's going to be opportunity with family and friends to see them 
and, and to pray that the Lord is opening up the door, to pray that the Lord is tilling the soil of their heart to make it receptive to the truth that they so desperately need to hear. And we would pray and we would plead with God. I want to close our service by reading this encouraging quote from James Edwards about our passage. He writes, The parable of the sower informs and warns disciples that although the ministry of Jesus is beset by obstacles, it will produce the harvest beyond compare. Disciples too will be sent to sow the word and they too will know the tremendous frustration of sowing where chances of harvest seem next to impossible. But as they have experienced in their own lives, the seed will unexpectedly find good soil in the lives of others. Those who will hear will understand the mystery of the kingdom of God and will, by the grace of its generative power, produce a harvest beyond belief. And amen, and amen, and amen. Please pray with me. Our Father, we bow our heads right now, thanking you for the ministry of your word. We ask that you would continue to uh, allow these truths that we've received today to, to capture our attention. And even those who have hearts who are born again, at times we can still experience the battles with the old man and the battles with the old soil. We just confess that. Thank you for, for the grace that's been given to receive the revelation of the gospel. And I pray as a church family, and I thank you for just the historic appreciation of our church as it relates to the gospel how these truths have and are continuing to be nailed down in our lives that you would continue to remind us by your Holy Spirit to continue to preach it to our own hearts for out of that flows just the, the, the joy and our identity and our security in Christ it's all tied together I pray, Father, that if there's someone here today, someone who has perhaps never even considered the soil of their own heart, and maybe they identify more with one of the first three soils, that that would even be a part of your tilling process. That you would be tilling the soil of their hearts this day to receive the truth so that it can be implanted and that their life can for, forever be changed. Oh, we would celebrate that. The scriptures tell us that the angels rejoice over one person that repents. We pray that that would be your will. We pray that you'll receive the prayers of second hour as we pray for unbelieving family and friends and that you'll continue to bless our ministry this morning as we trust you in every single way. We gave you thanks and praise for all that's taking place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.